Hi, Reverend. Hello. Can't hear anything. Hello. We can hear you. Oh, okay. And Miss right. Kennedy, I see you're on too. Thank you. Yeah. Should we stay unmuted or mute? You can mute for now. You can also turn off your camera until we call your name. Thank you. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for your um, patience. Um, Madam Clerk, can we ensure that there's a quorum for this meeting? Yes, ma'am. We have a quorum. 
All right, this meeting will now come to order. Madam Clerk, um, please read the speaker, citizen guidelines, and the emergency evacuation script. Hello, Councilmember Robertson. The emergency evacuation announcement goes as follows. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exits to the left or right front of the council chamber or the east or west stairwell outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use elevators or escalators. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay 8th and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually and hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. The guidelines for citizen comment period are as follows. Citizens wishing to speak during the public comment period and or public hearings are generally allowed three minutes to speak. Persons speaking before the committee are not allowed to campaign for public office, promote private business ventures, use language of a personal nature which insults or demeans any person, including comments directed at public officials or staff members that are not related to their official duties, or address or question staff members directly. All questions are to be directed to the committee chair. Failure to adhere to the guidelines may result in speakers forfeiting any remaining time and further disciplinary action is necessary, which could include barring from attendance at future meetings of the committee for a period of six months. Thank you, Madam Clerk. First and foremost, I want to acknowledge this is our first meeting back in chambers since going virtual, so it is a true pleasure to be with everyone in person um, for this committee meeting. I do have one slight amendment to offer for this agenda, if I if I may. Um, thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, we do we are joined by Chairwoman um, Shonda Mohammed Harris, who is going to um, uh, need to drop off. Um, I believe she's only got a couple of minutes with us, but we wanted to give her the opportunity to um, share a couple of words and move her report up on the agenda and then all other um, follow the agenda as it was presented. Chairwoman, greetings, nice to see you. Can you all hear me? Can you hear me? We're good. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. I'm Councilwoman Lynch for allowing me to be moved up on the agenda. I really appreciate that. And good afternoon to Councilwoman Robertson and Councilwoman Jordan and everyone who is joining this afternoon. Just a couple of updates. I'm not sure if the superintendent is going to join you this afternoon. I'm sure he is, but at what point, I'm not sure. So I can't speak to that right now. Um, but I wanted to give a couple of updates. As you know, we are continuing to... Um, and he can speak more in depth to this with the Fox update. He has provided the board some information today that we're going to have an in-depth discussion about at our next school board meeting on the 21st. Also, um, I wanted to um, clarify for those who are watching, um, some believe that we had not submitted a budget at all, but we did. It was not submitted on the 25th when your budget was sent to print. We met on February the 28th, and then on March the 1st, um, we submitted the budget in the same format that the superintendent submitted the FY22 budget. <clears throat> April the 14th, this is important for um, the community and our stakeholders to know, Richmond Public Schools continues to 
work with Virginia Department of Education by way of the Office of School um, Quality, which we have a memorandum of understanding, which is a tight knit partnership with VDOE. We have our first quarterly meeting on April the 14th at 1.30, from 1.30 to 3 o'clock. Um, and when, the closer we get to that meeting, I will just provide in brief what those topics of discussion are. And for example, ladies and gentlemen, the, what, what I call the glows and grows, but the good, the bad, and the ugly, the strengths, um, these uh, celebratory things that we have accomplished, um, so we're, we're just going to have a, a, a very in-depth conversation about moving Richmond City Public Schools forward, which is required um, by our memorandum of understanding. We are also um, in the process of um, once our budget gets back to us with other pieces of the budget, we'll begin to unpack, continue to unpack our budget and try to meet the deadline um, in May to adopt the budget. And in this budget season, I think we saw as a board that we needed to start our conversations earlier. So there is a policy that will be presented to the board from the policy committee that um, speaks to us having our budget discussions earlier, to start earlier as November. Um, with our priorities and allowing the finance team, the administrative team to begin that work, a little, we'll receive our priorities a little earlier and then begin the work, um, not the second Monday in January, but as early as the first Monday in January. So it's all about timing and being efficient with that timing. So those are the updates that I have for you all right now. Not a lot, not attractive updates, but they're updates. Thank you, um, mm -hmm. Chairwoman. We do have some members of the public on, I believe, for public comment, if you could stay with us. And then I know I've got some council members um, that have, can you stay with us for about 10 more minutes? I will try to stay as uh, 10 more minutes, but if I, um, all of a sudden you don't see my pictures because I had to leave. Thank you. And Superintendent Cameras is with us as well. Okay, great. Um, Madam Clerk, are there members here uh, from the public that wish to provide comment? There is no one here from the public for comment. However, we do have two virtual speakers. The first one is Teresa Kennedy. Hello, my name is Teresa Kennedy. I'm a member of Richmond Together, and I support the statement sent to you all earlier this morning registering our concerns with the RPS budget process. I believe Reverend Mines will speak to that issue more fully. I also represent the organization Kids First RPS, a multiracial coalition of parents and community members from across the city. We have been dismayed over the past year time and again to see the public discussion about schools focus seemingly focus on seemingly every issue but the most fundamental one are all our kids learning and thriving rps has weathered the pandemic and its teachers staff and administration deserve praise and appreciation for the hard work 
to continue educating our students in unprecedented circumstances. Kids First RPS supports RPS's strategic plan and appreciates the leadership of Mr. Cameras and his team. We hope that City Council can play a constructive role in this budget process and beyond in moving the community conversation back to the education process, helping students learn, improving student outcomes, getting all schools accredited, and making sure our, tr our kids truly all have equal opportunity. This means continuing to prioritize RPS in the budget process, as well as other critical programs that support kids and families outside of school. But it also means asking the questions that we do not always hear from school board. How is RPS do doing in the work of achieving the goals of the strategic plan? And how will its plans for fiscal year 2023 truly help move the needle? Kids First RPS believes council and school board together with the, the mayor's administration and the school's administration must work together to develop a shared multi-year plan to meet the full needs of our kids and families in and outside of school with the goal of educating the whole child. Let's not get distracted by side issues and drama. We want to see everyone working together to support kids and families. In fact, we insist on it. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Kennedy. The next citizen comment is Reverend Robin D. Mans. Greetings, Chairwoman Lynch and members of City Council and our school board representative and chair. My name is Reverend Robin D. Mines, and I am a resident of the 5th District. I am speaking this afternoon on behalf of the organization Richmond Together to express concerns about the school budget process. We support the efforts of RPS and the superintendent to implement its strategic plan, and we hope that City Council is again able to meet the needs of RPS students inside and outside of the classroom through budgetary support of RPS but also other initiatives and programs supporting the needs of families and children. That's why we are highly concerned that the proposed RPS fiscal year 2023 budget has at this time not been made publicly available. A summary of the superintendent's budget proposal was published in January and at Monday school board meeting, a summary update was providing noting provided noting key features of the school board's agreement from the February 28th meeting. However, the document notes that no funding sources was specified by the board for several new expenditure items and also notes that the board approved $6 million of undefined cuts in the operating budget. At this time, the public has no way to know the plan specifics of these cuts. Even more worryingly, it is our understanding that the school board chair on March 1st transmitted to the mayor and city council a short letter summarizing the total proposed budget totals for Richmond Public Schools, but did not attach a completed budget. Indeed, the letter did not even specify the total request from the city of Richmond for physical year 2023 in RPS. This means that no actual budget has in fact 
been sent to the city of Richmond. This is disappointing from an accountability perspective and also from a school's advocacy perspective. We believe RPS would have a much better chance of having its full needs met if the school board had transmitted the budget in a timely and complete manner, as is the precedent. It is our hope that this situation will soon be resolved and a complete budget proposal for RPS's fiscal year 2023 budget proposal will be published and transmitted. The RPS 30 seconds. is scheduled to be presented to city council this Monday at, work, at a work session. We hope that council will soon receive the actual budget, not summaries in a timely way, as it is expected of every other agency and organization receiving funds from the city of Richmond so that council has the opportunity to do its job in an informed and professional manner. While we support the needs of schools to the fullest degree possible, we believe council has the responsibility to closely review and ask questions about both proposed budgets, projected goals, outcomes for every agency it funds, including RPS. Our goal as a city must be to continue to work together to meet the needs of all Richmond families in and out of school using the resources we have as thoughtfully and effectively as possible. Honest transparency is what we ask. Please, and let's work together with the city for our students. Kids first. Thank you. Madam Chair, that is all of our public speakers. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, and I know that, um, do we still have our school board chairwoman present? Okay. Um, okay. Um, so I know you were, you were, providing um, an update and you did share um, some things with us about the budget. Mm-hmm. I believe that is a question that is on my mind and it, it you know, clearly was reflected in some of the public comments. And while you're here with us, because um, I know you do, your time is short today, you know, the, the big questions are there's a nexus in the budget. So there's, you know, the proposed budget that the superintendent um, submitted of a $22 million ask. You all submitted, I think, a total of $16 million. So there's a, a delta there. And there's a, about $6 million of undefined cuts. So if if you have any information about, where, you know, specifically which line items that $6 million would come from, that would be very helpful. Um, and then a time, I know you, you mentioned this, but a timeline on when more line item detail or an actual operating budget um, would come before the uh, mayor's office and then city council and what that timeline um, might look like. Thank you for the questions. Um, it is my understanding that the FY22 budget was submitted in the same format last year. I specifically asked the superintendent was this the same format that was submitted to the mayor's office last year? He assured me that it was. I'm not sure what is different from last year from what we submitted this year. His office compiled the information. I reviewed it and then signed it and submitted with the assurance that it was the same format. Um, So I'm not sure what the, the disconnect is there if it was the same format that was submitted last year, the same time frame or not, the same format, then what I'm not understanding what the question is about why it was submitted the way that it was submitted. 
Yes, there were two paragraphs on the letter, but also it was our budget. Um, the superintendent also shared with me our budget book is not ready. That wasn't submitted with the format last year. So I'm I'm still not clear on um, why that had to be submitted or was it or was it not submitted the way that it was um, submitted last year? Was it the chair last year? So I will have to get clarity from him on that. Um, but again, he assured me that it was the same format. Um, the second question, the six million undefined cuts, we are still working through that as a board, as I indicated on the 28th, as I continue to indicate, there will be cuts that we have to continue to make, we have to look at as a board. The process will be the same. What are your desired budget cuts or budget keeps? We will uh, take the codes as we've done before, well done in this cycle, and create the things and submit those to the superintendent and let him work through or he and I work together as we've done before. Here are the themes that I collected out of code, out of the codes that the board members submitted, which was easier for me to process to see what their desires or their desires were. Submit that to the superintendent and let him go from there. That process did work for us. Um, it's probably a little different from what people are used to in the past, but we needed to collect instead of going back and forth with this is what this person wanted, this is what this person does not want. Give me your five top priorities, which was agreed upon by the board, and we will move forward from there. And that's how we provided information to the superintendent, and that's how we're going to continue to move forward. It's more efficient, it's more cleaner, um, and actually it's more transparent when you're asking each board member to submit and be a part of the process, all nine of us was a part of the process and we continue to be a part of the process. We don't know, I can't tell you right now that this department, we're looking at this department, we're looking at that department, we're still gathering the information to see what as a division we need to do with the less funding that we know we're going to have. And to speak to that without knowing exactly where those things are gonna come from, I think as a 30 year educator would be unfair to those that we serve in our school division. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Harris Muhammad. Mm -hmm. And as always, I appreciate your, your leadership and your collaboration and your service for our Richmond Public Schools families. Um, I guess I'm trying to understand. So, and obviously this is one of the big problems with council and school board meeting on the same night at the same time. We, we don't get the benefit of hearing your discussions and sometimes there's not always time to go back and rewatch these meetings, but so school board cut $6 million just as a number, and now you're going back to determine where those cuts are coming from, or did you have $6 million worth of cuts that you were, I guess I'm just trying to understand, are you trying to reach a number first or programmatic goals first? Thank you. Yes, I, I think from discussions from some board members, we're trying to do it simultaneously. Um, there are positions that board members have desired to be I don't to be cut to to either be reorganized or to be cut. Um, there are programs, there are contracts that they have desired to be cut. That is also a part of the six million. I don't have that document in front of me, um, but I'm going from our last meeting um, from the amendments that Mr. Young submitted. Um, in addition to a few other areas that. Um, that was a part of the amendment. We are 
going to have to go back and look at, are there other areas that we're going to have to cut from or maybe not cut from? Because this is an ongoing process. So, so some of the information is um, has been provided already if people were following the February 28th meeting, which was a lot. Um, and we'll continue to work from the budget information that we have currently. Thank you so much. I guess just a follow-up point. Sure. Um, I was very encouraged last year when City Council fully funded the budget request from RPS. So mm -hmm. please don't cut yourselves short from what City Council is willing to fund. We want you to have the resources. We want our students and families to have the resources they need. We absolutely want our staff to have the resources they need. So please don't cut before you've given up us the opportunity to fund Dreams for RPS and everything that our students need, especially right now coming out of COVID. Um, the learning loss is really alarming to me, and um, that's what, certainly what I hope will be coming to us as you continue to work through your budget process. Um, hopefully it, it aligns with our, our budget schedule because certainly the clock's ticking for, for school board and council. Thank you. Thank you. And just a follow-up and clarity on that. Um, we also are required as a school board to look at programs and many entities within our organization that are not working. That does not feel good. It does not sound good when you say it, but it is our responsibility to unpack that and domestify that and see what is not working for our instructional practices in our school division and what is it that we need to do to make that better. And oftentimes, Councilwoman Jordan, that requires us using the data to eliminate something. And no, that does not feel good. And it doesn't sound good when someone says it, but it's reality. If it's not working per what the data is demonstrating, then it's our due diligence to domestify that as a school board, whatever side you sit on, and then make a decision. So that is a part of this process. Um, I, not in this role as chair, but as a school board member, have, I have always said that. We have to use the data to analyze what is working well and what is not working well. So that is not a new conversation, if you will, coming from me, because I've always said it in the year 2021 and going into 2022. Um, do we want to cut anything? I don't think any of us want to cut anything, but sometimes we we school divisions may have things in place that are not servicing the, the teachers who have to serve the students. And if it's not working based on the data, then we need to either do a couple of things. One is to reorganize it to see how we can make it work. Two, if it's not instructionally sound and the data does not support it, then we need to move it. And that is in every school division, not just RPS. That is in every school division in the country. That's how they review their programs as a part of their process to see what's working and is not working. And again, it's not an attractive process. It's a very difficult process. And it's a process that doesn't always feel good, but it's a process that we have to go through. Thank you, Chairwoman. And just Absolutely. to, I know you had asked, um, to clarify my question on um, the format or what I meant by the format. So typically, and this this committee being the Oversight Committee for Education and Human Services portfolio, we spend a lot of time 
digging through budgets and doing kind of what you're talking about, which is performance-based um, evaluation of what's working, what's not working. Um, and certainly we use this committee often um, as we should to delve a little deeper into budgets. Um, so what we're looking for is that line item operating budget that gives us a line item detail program by program. And typically we receive that from the school board. Um, I believe last year we received it at the end of February, second, third week of February. Um, so typically we receive that um, prior to um, being in receipt of the mayor's budget. So now we're in a posture where we have an, a num we have several categories. I think you sent us five or six categories with total dollar amounts next to each and then $6 million of undefined cuts, but we don't have the full operating budget of the, of, of our, for Richmond Public Schools. So we're do, we're trying to, you know, examine what the needs are. And to Catherine Member Jordan's point, you know, we do fully want to fund the, the schools, support you, support the school board, support the teachers, the families, the students, most importantly, in helping you all achieve not only the RPS strategic plan, but the facility strategic plan and all of the other goals as outlined in the ESSER plan that was submitted to the state. But not having a light item operating budget makes it challenging uh, to do that. And I think what the public is saying is, you know, hey, we're used to a city council process and a school board process whereby when budgets are deliberated, they're done so in public. You know, we have to submit amendments to um, to our city council staff who then goes and posts those publicly. Um, those amendments to the mayor's budget are then discussed in a public forum where public members of the public can comment um, on those items. And there is a lot of transparency and illumination in a very detailed fashion <laughs> of, the, of the deliberation of the budget. In this case, we're not having that same conversation where you've given us a short letter with, with numbers that doesn't describe or illuminate for the public those conversations that you all are having in, in deliberating your, your budget. So, so that's, that's what we're up against. And we are happy, of course, to um, partner and, again, fully fund whatever the board thinks is the best decision. We support you in that. But I think having the ability to have some line of sight into those deliberations and that decision making is important. And I fully appreciate and respect what you are all are trying to do. It's a lofty goal in trying to do some performance based budgeting. Um, I think that's what we all want to practice too as arbitrators of the budget. But it would be helpful to have some more detail on, on where you all are and, and particularly I think what gives folks a great deal of, of concern and unrest is the um, $6 million in undefined cuts. Cause that's not, that's a sizable chunk of change. I mean, that's, that's, you know, you're talking about cutting not only one curriculum or one vendor, you're talking about multiple positions that could have serious programmatic impact for Richmond public schools. So that's, so that's a big number. And I think worthy of, of discussion. Um, 
in any case, I just wanted to rest with that and then clarify my question. But we appreciate you. Yes, ma'am. So this is what I heard you say. Um, I just want to repeat back before I leave. Um, there is some unrest. I'm summarizing. So what you're asking me to come back with from the board is more detail. And I heard this a few times this afternoon on what define and explain what the undefined cuts are out of the six million. I heard that several times. Um, I also heard you say that something that the budget that was submitted last year did not look like what was submitted this year. Did I hear you say that? Okay, thank you. Duly noted. Um, that's not what was shared with me, but duly noted. Um, I will work with the superintendent and his team to make sure that what was submitted last year looks like what, what was submitted this year and for FY23 mirrors what was submitted in FY22. Again, let me say before I leave, he assured me that that was the format that was submitted last year because I didn't submit the budget last year. I wasn't chair, so I don't know how the format, I don't know what the format was. And thank you so much for taking mm -hmm. that back. We do appreciate that. Um, and it, it's a, it, it's just a binder. <laughs> it's an operating budget that has a, mm -hmm. a line item. Familiar. Yeah, line, because line I do that as well. But it was assured to me again that it was not submitted that way when the budget was submitted to you. So I trusted that information, but we'll make sure you get it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank, thank you. And we mm -hmm. okay. So we'll, we, Madam Clerk, we are going to move into presentations, and I believe our first presentation um, that we have, our first presenter. Um, is Richmond Public Schools, and that would be our superintendent, Cameras, who is here to join us. Thank you for being here with us and taking time out of your day. I know there is much to discuss. We just heard from our um, uh, chairwoman on the budget, and I'm sure you can provide some more detail for us. Um, I know we wanted to discuss Fox Elementary updates um, and an extended day and several other topics, so I wanted to pass it on to you. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Superintendent Cameras. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, uh, Councilmember Robertson and Councilmember Jordan. Uh, if I may just first briefly address um, what our chair was referencing. Yes, she did reach out to me and ask if uh, what we sent over to the city uh, was uh, in parallel to what we had done in the past. My understanding of that question was in reference to the letter that we submitted to the mayor in our request uh, in terms of the amount of additional funding from uh, the city. What we have not yet submitted is the full operating budget because we cannot yet create the full operating budget or certainly I cannot create it unilaterally as there are a number of open questions, including the undefined $6 million in operating budget cuts, as well as the assignment of the uh, new spending towards operating or federal stimulus dollars. That assignment was not included in the resolution that was passed by the board, again, I don't have the unilateral authority to make that determination. And so at our last board meeting, I proposed said assignment. At an upcoming meeting, we will, of course, explore uh, how to achieve the $6 million in cuts 
for the operating budget. Again, absent decisions on those matters, I'm not able to create the full operating budget, which is why it has not yet been submitted. Um, if I did not make that clear to the chair, I certainly do apologize. I was referencing that the letter we submitted to the city was uh, just like the approach we took last year in terms of our request for additional funding. I can proceed, but are, if there are any other questions about that, I'm, I'm certainly happy to answer those. So just so I'm I'm clear, I m might be more confused now than <laughs> when we started. Um, so th there was not a decision made on the 28th for an operating budget? There was a decision on a total amount. Uh, which was $6 million less than the amount that I had put forward. However, it was not defined in the resolution how we were to get from the $22 million ask that I had put forward to the $16 million ask that the board had approved. Therefore, absent that information, I am not yet able to create an operating budget against that number. We will have those discussions over the coming board meetings, but again, I do not have the unilateral authority to make the decision as to what $6 million to reduce from the budget that I proposed. So let me break this down into real simple terms for myself. So essentially, it's like if you were to go to the grocery store and you and you were to say, um, Mom, I've got $50. This is my grocery list. And then Mom or the parents turn around and say, no, you actually have $30. And then that impedes your ability to create a grocery list because now your list changes because you've been given a different amount. And you have to go back and figure out where to cut from off your grocery list, but you're not the one making those decisions. The person that, you know, the people that are proving the money are, correct? And so those people, the school board in this instance, has not approved where those cuts are going to come from. So you can't go to the store and get your groceries. Is that kind of what's going on? I hesitate to to speak to your words, but uh, but I'll say that uh, it is my intention to bring forth to the board recommendations on how to cut that $6 million so that we are able to produce a full operating budget. Thank you. I had to break it down like a teacher. Um, okay, proceed, Superintendent Cameras. I appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, if we can proceed with this uh, summary. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, my goal here is just to try to give a sense of what uh, the resolution that was passed articulates. Um, in short, uh, it included about uh, $7 million in new uh, programs and activities. It was not defined which of those would be funded by operating budget and which would be funded by federal stimulus budget. So 
the administration has created a proposal for the board. I'll just quickly go through each one. The first item was um, my my budget had included 10 FTEs for a scaled back Richmond Virtual Academy next year. Uh, the board's approved budget has a total of 30 FTEs. Um, we have assigned that to federal stimulus uh, for now. The second item that the resolution included was an additional half a million dollars to pilot dual language programs in elementary schools. We do not believe this is likely to be funded with federal stimulus dollars as it does not appear to be a direct response to COVID-19. Uh, so we have assigned that to the operating budget. The third item was a 360 degree evaluation process for principals and assistant principals at $88,000. Again, we do not believe this would meet the guidelines of the federal stimulus and so have assigned that to the operating budget. Next was an additional 20 teaching positions at the Richmond Technical Center. We believe that might be able to be funded by federal stimulus and so we have assigned it accordingly. Next, the resolution included scaling up the number of seats that we offer at Code RBA, Appomattox, Maggie Walker, Community, and Franklin at a price point of 1.5 million. Uh, that we do not believe would be able to be funded by the federal stimulus and so have assigned that to the operating budget. Next was what's called uh, looping uh, incentives for teachers to loop, meaning they would keep their children from third grade to fourth grade to fifth grade. Uh, $50,000 has been assigned. We believe it might be covered by the federal stimulus and so have assigned it accordingly. Next was a proposal to develop multi-sensory classrooms in elementary schools at a price point of $243,000. Again, we believe that might be able to be funded by the federal stimulus and have assigned it accordingly. Next was a third part party audit of central office positions at a cost of $50,000. Again, we believe that would be uh, most likely funded by the operating budget. Next was additional mental health supports for teachers at a quarter of a million dollars. This we believe the federal stimulus um, would be appropriate for. Next was additional ESL teachers at $450,000. Again, we do believe this would be appropriate for federal stimulus. Next was an increase in pay for part-time food service staff at $320,000. Uh, this we believe would have to be in the operating budget. Next, $100,000 to launch a program to transition instructional staff to become licensed teachers. Uh, we believe this might fall under the federal stimulus and have assigned it accordingly. And then I had originally proposed a cut to an arts and CTE specialist. I withdrew that. That has been incorporated here at $192,000, and that is assigned to the operating budget. Um, if I can actually jump back, so you'll see that the totals are about 2.6 million additional assignment to the operating budget and about 4.3 million to our stimulus budget. So in truth, if these assignments hold, we have to cut not just 6 million, 
but actually 6 million plus 2.65 million because we need to create space in the budget for the items that will be funded with operating budget dollars. So in truth, we're going to have to cut about $8.6 million in our operating budget. There were also um, some reductions that were put forth. Um, there's the undefined 6 million from the operating budget, uh, curriculum contracts at about 442,000, and some reduction in regional school tuition at 170,000. The lion's share of the reductions, though, were in the federal stimulus, just shy of 1.3 million, uh, a cut to not move our network infrastructure into the cloud, 900,000 cut for cell phones for uh, relevant staff, and additionally a cut of 10.2 million, uh, eliminating all of our federal stimulus funds for student Chromebooks and teacher laptops. Again, the next steps are to uh, put forward uh, recommendations in terms of the cuts uh, so that we can get board uh, sign off and then uh, produce a finalized operating line item budget and, and uh, provide that to you and, and to the public. Thank you, Madam Chair. And thank you, Mr. Cameras, for your presentation. Um, Uh, of course, as you very well know, City Council is going to be reviewing our total budget and which schools is a major part of our total budget of the general fund budget and the capital improvement budget for the city. Um, and whereas I, I feel very strongly that um, the board of directors uh, for the school um, have um, their due diligence and their responsibility as it relates to working with you and putting together a budget that meets the needs for us to be able to well educate our children in, in the city of Richmond. And we all recognize how essential that is that we have an excellent public school system. Um, it's, um, it's as important to us as having a fire department and having a police department, which also takes up probably a large, the other largest percentage of our total budget. Um, and, and that's not to suggest that the other departments aren't just as important they are. And, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that this form, this uh, this form, Madam Chair, of trying to unwrap all of the details in your budget, uh, have a full understanding and appreciation for where you are in cuts and so forth, and and fully understanding why you're saying we're not talking about a six million cut, we're talking about an eight million plus cut. Um, and understanding why, how, if the proposed budget that we are looking at the present time, which is a proposed budget from the mayor, includes 
to continue to fund schools at the same level that we did last year. And our understanding that the request for additional funding is roughly $16 million. And my understanding is that the proposed budget includes an additional $15 million um, that, in my way of thinking, address the 16 additional million that was requested, shy one million, um, and should be able to fund all of the requests in the budget that initially was asked by schools as a proposed request to the city to be included in the budget. Um, and Mr. Chair, I mean, Madam Chair, I, I really, uh, we've been talking about this budget now for an hour. Uh, uh, the chair, Madam Chair of the school board said to us when she came on that she only had a couple of minutes. We kept her for a half an hour. Um, and I know that the chair uh, is a full-time employee. And I think when she tells us that she has two minutes or three minutes, uh, we want to honor that uh, in respect of the fact that um, our meetings are held in the middle of the day when people are working. Um, so we, I do think that it's important that we respect that. Um, also, uh, some of the details that we have in your budget, uh, Mr. Cameron, I'll be honest with you. Um, some of these decisions are based on the overall operation of the Richmond Public Schools, which we entrust to you and to the board to make those decisions as it relates to curriculum, how many teachers you need, and all of those kinds of things. I see our duty is to entrust you and the board with that responsibility of making sure that those things happen. And that city council role is to do the best job that we can to fund those things so that we can carry out those duties and responsibilities. And I think we are all obligated and responsible and care and have demonstrated that we're willing to do that. Um, if there's a work session, Madam Chair, that can be held between this committee and uh, the chair of the school board for the purpose of working through any uh, opportunities that we have to enhance our budgets and to enhance our delivery of services to the schools to benefit them as well as the city, then I think we should schedule a work session to do that. I don't think that we can resolve um, the uh, this specialty, I would say, of educating children. And my hat is off to each one of you for that, uh, for for taking on that duty and that responsibility. It's a big one. And and to the parents as well, uh, including my sisters that are sitting up here that are doing the same thing with children. Um, I'm grateful. I'm a, just a grandmama. And so I get to have fun and send them back home uh, to their parents with all of the hard work. <laughs> so my hat's off to you guys. Um, but I do think that um, in lots of ways we have gotten off on the wrong start or 
this year and maybe last year. Uh, and I believe that we all want to get everything aligned in a way that works good for all of us. And so, Madam Chair, with that, rather than belaboring the budget where we can't resolve a lot of the things that are here, um, certainly I would welcome and would want to work with the chair of the board and with the superintendent and the board members and the superintendent staff and city council and the administration as needed to hopefully be able to put these things at rest. I will say from what is in the budget at the present time, which covers the base budget for last year and the $15 million that is in, in the budget and a special account, with the exception of that differ, difference of a million dollars, the city has done its job in appropriating necessary funds in the budget to address the requests, the initial requests that came from Richmond Public Schools. We're happy to work out, work with you with any differences with you, the board, and how the city can be helpful. Um, but I think that's a special work session, Chair, for the time that is going to be required to do that with factual information. Thank you. Um, thank you, Councilmember Robertson. Um, so if I'm hearing you correctly, your proposal is to have yet another meeting where we will deliberate um, the school board budget. Um, I, for one, do not have interest in going that route, um, only because I do have a full-time day job and I've taken the time out of my schedule to do the functions of this committee, which is the oversight body. Um, for the education and human services portfolio. Um, so I do welcome the discussion offline um, uh, and I encourage um, I encourage any member of this committee or member of council to have discussion with their school board member. Um, but for the purposes of this committee and we can take a vote, um, I, I, you know, this is why we allocate this time for this meeting. And I think it's perfectly within the purview of um, this committee and myself as chair to ask questions of our school board members, of our superintendent, and any other member of the human services portfolio who are joined, joined, joined with our good people at Parks and Rec here. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, as it stands today, in this moment, I don't have an operating budget. I can't look at any line item. I don't know where the $6 million is going to get cut from. I'm a parent, an RPS parent, a very proud one. I'm, a, you know, very invested in this issue, and I have a very limited amount of time to discuss it. Um, so with that, committee members, we can vote to have a special meeting. Now, I know what, that we're working on a – I may put a counter proposal out there. I know we're working on a special meeting um, with members of the school board to discuss um, uh, George West, school construction, et cetera. Um, we could absolutely, you know, tack on <clears throat> to that agenda. Probably it seems appropriate to do so. Tack on to that agenda a discussion item on the budget. Um, I don't know that it warrants a special um, uh, discussion at that point in time, if, if it makes sense. 
let's do that. But um, having a whole separate special meeting um, to, to delve into their budget to me does not make sense. And it is quite within the purview of this um, um, committee to do so. And I will make a note that we did ask the school board um, chairwoman if she had an alternative uh, alternate that could attend. And I do appreciate her time greatly because I, more than anyone who works 70 hours a week, <laughs> appreciates the, um, the, the gravitas of taking time out of your day to join a committee when you have other career responsibilities. Um, Councilmember Jordan. Thank you. I find it hard to schedule a special meeting at this point, um, not knowing when school board is going to know what what they're going to propose. What is our next when is our next EHS meeting? Could it be added to that date? How's that work with the budget calendar overall? Or should we? Let me be clear. I'm not asking for a special meeting. I'm not asking for a special meeting. I'm offering if schools feel that that would be beneficial to them, and as well, we feel that it'd be beneficial to us, um, the money that is put in the reserve account clearly articulate that without the budget in the format that we need it, those funds will not be expended. So, you know, we've put the provisions in to make sure that we get the information we need. We've reserved the money um, as is proposed. Um, if we can be of assistance, fine. I don't have, and it, and it does not, Madam Chair, I'm not asking that it be a committee obligation to do that, okay? If, if schools ask us to do, and we, or we ask schools to do something, that's fine. I'm not trying to add another special committee meeting for that purpose for this committee necessarily. I'm just offering it. Uh, as uh, one of our former mayors would say, uh, uh, olive leaf, you know, doesn't have to happen. Uh, and, 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 and really, it's probably something that you guys are working out yourselves. And, and personally, I think that's really what needs to be done. It needs to be worked out uh, there. Um, so I, I'm not, I just want to be clear, Madam Chair, I'm not asking for a special meeting of this committee uh, I'm just offering an olive leaf if it would be of any value. And trust me, I'm perfectly fine that if I don't have one extra meeting to attend, I'm happy. Thank you, Councilmember Robertson. All right, Superintendent Cameras, proceed. I don't have anything else to add on the budget. If, if there are no further questions regarding the budget, I'm happy to move on to the Fox update. So uh, I will be brief. Uh, in short, we have been working with the Fox community to determine the most appropriate plan of action for the students, uh, which of course uh, is our primary concern. Uh, based on a survey of families, we found that the overwhelming majority wanted to be back in person regardless of where that was as soon as possible. The staff were about evenly split between remaining virtual and coming back in person. So given that the staff were about split and here is the family data and here's 
more family data, here's the staff data. Given that there was no clear consensus among staff, but an overwhelming consensus among families, uh, the recommendation that I put forward and has been approved by the board uh, is to move the Fox community to First Baptist Church on Monument Avenue starting on March 21st. So five school days uh, from tomorrow. And we are very excited about that and very grateful to uh, First Baptist. They have been a wonderful partner. In fact, they are already hosting more than 60 students as one of our facilitated learning centers for Fox students right now. We considered a number of other offers uh, from around the city and I have listed them here. I do want to express gratitude to all of these organizations and, and there were more that um, didn't meet a, a threshold for feasibility. Uh, we did analyze the pros and cons of each of these and ultimately First Baptist was the best option in that it has sufficient space, it is close by, it is one site as opposed to multiple sites um, and their leadership has just been absolutely fabulous in terms of partnering with us. At the same time, we are uh, underway with our Clark Springs renovations. You can see a list of some of the work, some costs and where they are in terms of procurement. We are shooting for April 19th to have all of these projects completed. I do want to note that is ambitious, particularly given the recent events in Ukraine, which have created even more uh, supply challenges and raised costs. Um, but we will continue to work around the clock to uh, complete all of this work. At that point, once Clark Springs is ready, whether it's April 19th or later, the Fox community has a decision to make. Stay at First Baptist for the rest of the school year, which First Baptist has offered to us, or move over to Clark Springs. Obviously, there are advantages and disadvantages to each of these. Staying in one place has the benefit of not adding additional tumult and disruption to teachers, kids, and families. Um, of course, moving over to Clark Springs has the benefit of beginning to get acclimated to what will be the long-term swing space for Fox until Fox is rebuilt. So either way, Fox will be at Clark Springs in the fall. The question is, will they be there before then? That is an open question, one that we will make with the community. Bottom line is though, the kids will be back in person March 21st at First Baptist Church on Monument Avenue. Did wanna just provide a quick additional update on the structure and we can take the presentation down. Uh, this information I'm sharing now is, is uh, very fresh and not in the presentation. Uh, as I believe the committee understands, uh, but it's important for the public to hear the site, the Fox site is still under the purview of the Richmond Fire Department and will remain so until their investigation is complete. Uh, in speaking with Chief Carter, uh, I believe that will likely occur by the end of March. Um, we get a lot of questions about can people do X or Y or Z on the property, whether to assist with something or grab something. 
unfortunately, the answer is an unequivocal no. And um, anybody that goes on that property has to be cleared by the Richmond Fire Department at this point. Here's an important update. As with any fire of this nature, of any structure in the city of Richmond, public or private, one of the first steps is the city performs an inspection and makes a determination about whether the structure is safe or not for use. City has concluded that inspection and has determined, understandably, that the structure is not safe for use in its current state. The next step is to determine which path to take. Path one being demolition to pave the way for reconstruction. Path two being stabilization for renovation. Earlier today, I shared this information with the school board. I have recommended path two, stabilization for renovation. Um, my understanding is that the chair would like to discuss this at our next school board meeting. So I imagine that will be when we will have the next uh, fulsome discussion of this matter. Once that decision is made, our insurer will work with an engineer to create a stabilization plan for the structure. Once that is accepted and approved by the city and the city gives us the relevant building permits, we can then go ahead, do the stabilization work of the brick facade and also then do, now that it will be safe, asbestos abatement and debris removal, paving the way for an ultimate renovation of the site. That's where we are with the structure at this point. Happy to take any other questions. I also uh, do want to note um, we are extremely grateful to everyone who has donated to the Education Fund. With those resources, uh, we are uh, providing all of the staff at Fox a $500 Amazon card to begin to purchase supplies to set up their classrooms at First Baptist. We still have plenty of funds left for other needs as we learn of them from the teachers and community, um, but that is a first great step to support our hardworking educators and getting ready and set up for First Baptist. With that, I'll conclude and take any questions. Councilmember Jordan. Thank you so much. And thank you, Superintendent Cameras. And, and I wish Dr. Harris Muhammad was still on so I could thank her as well. This has been such a difficult extra burden on top of an already incredibly difficult you know, series of years here for the city. And I want to express my extreme gratitude for every civic partner and person organization that stepped forward. I know First Baptist will do a great job. Um, I'm so pleased that that decision was made as swiftly as possible so that our students and our, our teachers could be reunited. And I appreciate the additional update on the Fox structure. Obviously, everyone I have heard from is eager to see that building stabilized and renovated. Uh, you know, Fox and fan families, past, current, and future. All want to see it back online at 2300 Hanover. So this is a very welcome update. And when is the next school board meeting? Because I feel like I know that there has been hesitation to call an emergency meeting about Fox until there was an actionable item that was not, um, you know, just a day or two away from a previously scheduled meeting. But I can tell you, having driven by Fox over and over and over, it is like walking by a carcass on the side of the road. Um, curtains are still flapping through the windows. 
parts of the roof are hanging off into the bushes. Children's coats are still on the coat rack at the playground. And there is debris everywhere um, within the site. So for so many reasons, we have got to get this thing stabilized as soon as possible. I don't want to wait. If there's if the school board meeting is weeks away, that's too far. Um, as strongly as I can possibly request, we need to have an emergency meeting to get the stabilization started. So could you let us know what the path is to moving, continue to move this process along? Thank you. Yes, Councilmember Jordan, our next board meeting, I believe, is March 21st. Um, I would defer, excuse me, I would defer to board leadership on uh, emergency meetings or any change to that schedule. Well, I will absolutely be formally requesting an emergency meeting. Um, just even with our last storm, more of the roof flew off. So it's it's not a stable situation. And, you know, we've, we've been prudent, but now we've got more information. We have a recommendation to stabilize and renovate, and that needs to be done as soon as possible. Uh, appreciate that update. Um, I think we were hoping as well to hear something about extended day for our Fox families, as well as any assistance you might need with transportation. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Jordan. Thank you for reminding me. Yes, one of the uh, challenges with First Baptist, no fault of their own, obviously they run their own programs for children and have other responsibilities. Uh, we would not be able to provide aftercare at that site. However, um, I have been in conversations with Ms. Colin from the city, who I know is working uh, very hard to collaborate with us and see if we can find a possible solution to this, utilizing some city resources. I don't have any details on that just yet, but um, we have been talking and working very hard to find a solution. We know for uh, just about all families, uh, but certainly working families where no parent can be at home at that time, uh, that having that option is absolutely critical. So we are working on that. Unfortunately, I don't have a specific update today, but I do promise to provide that as soon as we do have it. Oh, Councilmember Repton. Um, thank you. I understand the the um, wish of the community as it relates to moving forward with the renovation. I love old buildings, and I, you know, I'd want to renovate my house too if it caught on fire, and there was any possibility to do that, but. I would hope that as a part of the evaluation by the engineers, we will better assess what that means as far as the renovation, total renovation of the existing structure. And uh, so it'd be good to get some feedback on that once you get to that stage. But I guess the question that I would ask right now, because I've seen this happen too many times when buildings are damaged and we don't move expediently and shoring up the building that sometimes there are additional walls or other parts of the building will cave in because they're not they're just not stable um and stabilizing the building seems like it's more of a public safety issue right now uh in addition to stabilizing it for the purpose of moving forward with the rehab work. Um, so I guess the question that I would pose to the city from a code perspective and the condition of the building as to whether or not we should, I, I don't know this, but whether or not we should be required 
to at least stabilize a public facility so that it is not a potential hazard because, you know, some of the walls could still collapse or other parts of the building kind of thing. Um, you know, I've seen us do that before when there's a public building that has been severely damaged and it's necessary for us to ensure that it's not a an additional public safety threat because of the building condition itself and whether or not we should be moving forward with the, if it's necessary to do that kind of stabilization. So maybe the fire department or someone should be able to give us some indication as to whether or not we need to do some emergency stabilization at the present time. And to address your concerns, uh, Ms. Jordan, just as the overall work that could be done to clean the place up. I know that they're going through an investigation. I don't know what that means. Um, but I am concerned that if we want to do rehab, we want to preserve everything as much as that we can right now. And if there's some severe code deficiencies that require some emergency stabilization, that we proceed in going on and getting that done. Uh, the board can still make its final decision as it relates to renovation or what have you, but I'm just concerned about the immediate safety. Madam Chair. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Kevin Donk, the Director of Planning, has his hand raised. Would you like for him to speak? Oh, absolutely. Be good. Great. Thank you for joining, you. Uh, Kevin. Appreciate you having, having you on. Thanks uh, for having me. Hi, Kevin J. Bonk, uh, Director, Planning and Development Review. Uh, to answer, answer um, Councilperson Robertson's question. Um, so we were able to get in um, with some inspection. And I think the first thing it's important to remember, as Superintendent Cameras had stated, uh, the structure itself still is under the control of the fire department. Um, and so anytime anybody goes in, they have to be escorted by fire personnel um, to ensure everyone's safety. Uh, there's also um, exposure of asbestos in the area so that the proper PPE is there. Um, some of the things that have been done, there, there has been a preliminary assessment uh, engineering in terms of the stability of the structure. Um, and that it is safe to enter, again, with the proper precautions to do some analysis um, there was some caution about because the roof has gone and that um, stabilization uh, about some taller walls in the back in the area. Um, so cautions about going in there on windy days, uh, but otherwise it, we are able to go in. Um, and the um, I think a superintendent cameras had, had stated either way, regardless of whatever path is needed, uh, emergency stabilization will need to be performed. Um, but really, we need the fire department to complete their investigation to be able to to do that. And I think um, Chief Carter understands um, the, the need and where they're at, but they also don't want to take any shortcuts in terms of making sure that there's a thorough investigation on that. Um, but uh, in, in working with the uh, school board, school district, um, they can prepare now that they have the engineering report that that shows some of the areas are of which in more critical need. Uh, they can come up with a plan uh, of how to to stabilize that structure. So as soon as fire um, does release their control, 
Um, it will then be under the control of the building commissioner because it has been deemed an unsafe structure. Um, and we have committed with them to move forward as quickly as possible with the permitting um, that is needed to get that stabilization done, understanding we don't want any further deterioration and we don't want any um, concerns about health or safety for um, anybody on that property or, or nearby. If I may, Madam Chair, I also just would like to take the opportunity to thank Mr. Vonk, uh, Mr. Steidel, many others from the city who have been exceedingly helpful over the last uh, several weeks, but certainly this week in helping walk us through this process. It is um, a lot to absorb and we are primarily educators and this is new for us. And so I, I certainly do appreciate their advice and counsel. Um, I, I want to be 100% clear the city is doing everything they possibly can to assist us in this. Um, just appears there are a lot of steps to go through. So I did want to state that for the record. Thank you so much, Superintendent Kibris. Um Council Member Jordan. Thank you, and thank you, Director Volk, for that added information. Superintendent Cameras, who is the point person at RPS for this project, just to make sure the city knows who they need to be interfacing with for the permits? Yes, so it's our chief operating officer, Ms. Gonzalez, um, but I have also now established a weekly meeting with all of the relevant individuals from the city, the fire department, and RPS that I myself am participating in only uh, because I'm sometimes able to get people to show up uh, and move things along given the role that I sit in. Um, but Ms. Gonzalez is, is leading the day-to-day -day work and doing an absolutely outstanding job. Excellent, thank you so much. And I just wanna thank my, my colleague in reinforcing that whether it's city, RPS, fire department, we need to get things straightened up and stabilized. Tomorrow will be one month since the fire and it looks exactly the same as the morning after. Thank you. If I may make one additional comment, I do think uh, connecting our first conversation and our second conversation, not only is retaining the brick structure desirable from an aesthetic, historical, and dare I say emotional perspective, it is also desirable from a financial perspective as having spoken to a number of historic tax credit experts in the city over the last few weeks, uh, given that brick structure, we are likely to qualify for significant historic tax credits for the renovation, which could amount to 25% of the renovation costs. So um, there's a real financial stake here as well uh, to the stabilization that I did also want to just note. Appreciate that and, and so appreciate not only your leadership, but your compassion um, through this time. I know that my Fox families deeply appreciate all the meetings and the time um, that you have uh, given to them answering questions. I know answering emails and phone calls late at night. Um, it has not gone unnoticed. Thank you so much for caring for um, our fifth district families and all of the families um, sitting, you know, up here on this diet, saw the council body and, and represented by our school board member colleagues um, for shepherding us through this extremely um, difficult time. So thank you so much. Super My pleasure. Thank you. All right. We're going to roll right into our next presentation. Um, Director Frauke, if you could come and join us. 
Um, just to do a little table setting for those out there in TV land, as you all know, we received a significant tranche of federal funding um, known as the American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA funding, as you'll hear it called, or AK Biden bucks, as some of us colloquially call it around here. Um, we made a historical investment um, and, and spent, I would say, 80% of our funding, a $78 million investment in uh, Parks and Rec to build a premier um, uh, facilities and programming um, plan that spans across the city in some of our highest need um, districts. We wanted to bring um, uh, Director Frauke, Director of Parks and Rec here today before you all um, to ask uh, questions and then to have him explain and lay out his vision for um, the historic investment that we have made. And he knows I pressed him right before um, we voted on our ARPA funds very hard um, and, and challenged us to think differently. And no no greater champion for programming, certainly, um, uh, than I. But very important that we get a handle on what it's going to look like in the future because this is a – long game investment that will require, I'll probably be off council, um, uh, who knows um, which council bodies are going to be left um, to, to fund and make sh and execute on this vision, but we got to make sure it happens. So this is the first step in getting an idea of what that plan is and um, ensuring that the investment that we made with ARPA is then followed up with investment on programming. So without further ado... Director Frauke. Good afternoon, Chairperson Lynch, Vice President Robertson, uh, Councilor Jordan. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank you guys again for all of your support in passing this historic funding for ARPA when we did it last uh, fall. This was a major milestone for our city and also a major milestone for the investment in our parks and recreation system. So we're extremely excited. And as you mentioned, there was 78 million, so about 50% of the dollars that we had for ARPA that went to parks and recreation directly. Um, and so I'm just going to give you sort of a status update. So because we were asked uh, late last week um, to provide sort of an update where we're at. And so I'm just going to throw through line by line of the different projects we've got in ARPA because I think there's a lot of interest um, and this is just a good way for us to communicate out. Um, first of all, uh, we are embarking on a master plan. The last time the city looked into this was, I believe, in 2006. Um, so it's been quite a bit of time uh, during that period. So this will be a major investment for us to look at the future. What kind of investments, what kind of things we need to be happening, where we need to be moving as a system, um, what kind of amenities that we have that meet the needs and what kind of amenities we should have that meet the needs. Look at programming opportunities. So it will be a great guiding tool, tool for us for the next uh, five to six years. This gives you sort of an idea where we're at. We're currently working with procurement. Um, we hope to have this contract in place by fall of this year. And then the planning will select the vendors. Usually it's pretty typical for um, to get solid community engagement. It can take six to 12 months so that we make sure we connect with all of our communities and also have a lot of partners that need to be there and stakeholders present. So this is sort of where we're at with that first one. Also, um, one of the things that is uh, very exciting is the $1.5 million for land acquisition. Um, we want to make sure that every Richmonder has a park within 10 minutes. 
We know that we need to do that in a lot of our different areas throughout each district this touches. And so how do we look at this? Um, we worked with the mayor's green team back in 2020 um, to kick this off, but it was a data-driven approach that we've been looking at where land acquisition needs to happen in the city to match up with this 10-minute walkability. So we're in the process for that too, and we actually have reconveyed stakeholders to start that discussion. Calhoun Center, uh, $8 million was allocated for that. As I believe you all are aware, we're still in the process with the Housing Authority to get that process, uh, that building transferred over to us. However, especially if you look at the picture uh, in the slide, all that wonderful green space and court surfaces is currently city-owned. Um, and we have been working with the residents uh, with a partnership with the Brothers for Gilpin to do a lot of robust engagement to figure out what the neighborhood wants. Um, I know several of you all have attended some of their events where we have done things with the community. And so we are still continuing to do that sort of efforts to understand what their vision is, not only for this space, but once we are able to acquire the building, um, what we need to do inside this particular building. Also, if you haven't seen this, this is what the community asked for in design for Southside Community Center. The wonderful thing about the ARPA funding is now we can actually make this come into fruition. Um, we are working with the consultants currently. We hope to have our construction documents completed by July of this year. Um, also, we will have our skate, our skate park, uh, one of the newest outdoor amenities there, uh, ribbon coat cutting in April, at the, almost at the end of April of this year. So things are moving quite a, a bit along. The other thing that's exciting about this, um, we still need to uh, have it come out to bid, but when this current uh, visioning for this is that we have a double gymnasium, which will be the first in the region, so we can host a lot of different type of events and do a lot more things with our young people, but also have our first indoor playground and first indoor walking track. So we're excited about both these uh, new amenities for our city, and we hope that it will help, especially our residents in this area, have some different things. Also, uh, on Saturday, we kicked off the community engagement for our Luxfield Community Center. Uh, this is actually a picture um, where we had lots of residents that came out and attended. Um, and we also sort of now can show you what's sort of happening. So we kicked off the engagement. We started to hear what the community would like to see in these spaces. We plan to then do a survey, get those out um, to neighbors. We have done door-to-door -to, -door to get people to come, and we plan on doing door-to-door -to, -door to get the survey information out. Um, and this is sort of the tentative timeline, as you will see, for us to continue to engage to figure out what kind of programming needs the community would like and what they're asking for. We also plan to involve stakeholder meetings, too, to determine what stakeholders potentially would like to see in this space. And it's a very similar model. These are also pictures from Saturday. As you can see, the mayor was um, came to both of these events and was able to speak uh, to the groups to start really getting their ideas what they want. Um, I know several of you, just as the mayor had shared, have been going out in the community for a long time, and people often say they want things to do. They want places for their families to be able to go and have opportunities, and these spaces will do those, especially in our communities of most need first. Um, and so this is where we're looking at doing these, um, and this sort of gives you a timeline. Uh, very similar, we're running these parallel projects. Um, we already have uh, you know, a consultant on board to help us with the engagement and design. And once those happen, then we will start with you know, the next phases of development for these facilities. Also though, to have on your radar, because um, this is also very important and one of our most heavily used uh, uh, 
crossovers for the James River Park system is replacing the North Bank Tower. Um, we did have some initial assessments done prior to this because we've had this on our radar for a while. And now we're very excited that when we get the second tranche of dollars in, we'll be able to start the planning and design uh, for this particular amenity. And also another really huge thing that we're very excited about is the Reedy Creek Crooked Branch. And that tree back there is one of the more historic trees we have uh, in the East Coast. So it is pretty impressive that we have some of these wonderful assets within our city, how we can highlight uh, these different pieces and really reconnect this part. Um, I know there's been a lot of discussion about George Wythe and the, the new school, but this park is really its neighbor and can provide some great green space um, for this community that is much needed and how we can provide that in that area of our city. And lastly, there's a sort of, so you can all see, and again, um, at the top of that is that crooked branch that I just sort of referred to and that natural space that really with that will help us connect over to Forest Hill and the James River but also we'll be able to connect all these different residents on the south side um, via the James River Branch Trail. Uh, and we are working, we're working to uh, acquire that land through CSX and our goal is to have that acquired by December of 2022 so that then we can bring construction to that and we have that multimodal use uh, for a lot of our residents to be able to, to transverse to other areas of the city uh, and doesn't have to be using a vehicle. So I know that's a lot to absorb and digest, um, but this is sort of where we are at. Um, and so at that point, that concludes my presentation. Thank you. And I was following along from my desk at the beautiful um, picture. So I know that you all, I'm going to just start with the community meetings. I know that you all um had advertised, well, I saw them on our mayor's Instagram. <laughs> That's how I found out about them, um, which is a good way to advertise public meetings. Um, how are we getting feedback, you know, with these community meetings? I mean, this is just, you know, sometimes it's very hard to get civic engagement and get folks um, out and, and you have to be really, as you all know, really intentional about how you get feedback and reach out to people. So how are we getting feedback from folks that may not be paying attention to the mayor's Instagram or the city website? Um, I mean, are we going into the schools? Are we going to do a survey with the students? Are we going to um, rely on some of our community partners that are out there working in the community? Um, day in and day out that touch the lives of our kids and families in these neighborhoods. Like, how are we really being intentional about this outreach to make sure that we don't get the same six or seven people that wind up showing up? I completely understand and almost yes to all the things that you just said of how the outreach that we're trying to do there. Um, as I mentioned, we went to 200 doors uh, trying to get people to come to the community meeting um, that we needed. We have a lot of our staff that have had experience with going out and doing this, we're partnering with different agencies that have been vested in the community. Um, the mayor's green team really helped establish that network uh, with over 50 different partners that we had as part of that, and we're building a part on top of that. Um, I think you all are really familiar in 2020, we added those five parcels of land into the system, but we worked with a lot of par uh, partners at Broad Rock Creek, and those partners are really well vested from Southside Relief to a lot of different numerous ones that we're working with on there for TB Smith. 
Yeah, we had the NAACP show up for the Mosby, and we have a lot of other stakeholders that we're working with to get that voice out because we agree with you. We're, we have to be boots on the ground with this. It is not your traditional um, assessment of where we just put a survey out there and we want to see what people get back. We want to go door to door and hear what people have to say. So we're trying to do that. We're working with our effective partners that have trust. We also have the wonderful ambassadors program that the city has created with the Office of Community Wealth Building, and we plan on utilizing them to help get those surveys out once the surveys have been completed, which is momentarily in the next day or so we should have that complete. And I know that um, just in looking at the initial survey responses, everything that I saw when you know folks are asking what do they want to see in their community centers is related to programming. Now, obviously, the ARPA funding doesn't, you know, we could not fund. Um, uh, it's a one-time money, right? So we're, you know, that's why this is being expended on capital projects. The typical budget for a robust program funded via park staff or otherwise, where you can subcontract out with a community-based organization. What is that, in your mind's eye, what does that look like for each center? So I think what we have to first sort of look at is what the community says. And then what partners are already doing some of the work that need space desperately? Because we have a lot of nonprofits in this area. You all fund a ton of non-departmentals. And there's a lot of different ways that we could leverage these things that they haven't had the opportunity because most of our facilities have a room. And we're using that room for our after-school program. We're using that room for our summer camp. We're using that room pretty much for what we can. But when you have, you can look at sort of our Southside Community Center model where we work with La Lulac to be there. We have OCWB that has an office in there. We have other partners that need spaces and we can host those, especially what is the most needed in those communities. So as we hear that, there's a lot of opportunities, you know, but I don't want to preconceive what the programming is until this process has gone down. I know we all have some ideas of what the community will tell us, and I know you all hear it all the time of what the community wants and sees. We also encourage, because with all these, I know we sent out to all the liaisons these community meetings, please push as much as you can. Um, I know that we, we had a great out there in the community for the um, for the Lux Field. We really do appreciate all the civic associations that the, the stuff was sent to because our staff live in the community and we're here seeing it through that. So it was a great thing. But we really need to get that engagement piece first. And part of it is looking at how we partner. We already have staff at TB Smith, so it's easy for us to transition some of those staff and then figure out how we can facilitate. We're currently meeting with a lot of partners right now to figure out how we can start piloting things so when these when these buildings come, we're ready to roll. Okay, wonderful. Um, and, you know, one of the, I don't want to dominate the question after, okay. <laughs> um, one of the questions that I got when this, um, when the ARPA funding was voted through was, but this, the community centers are closed now. You know, so we're trying to explain that we're rolling out all these new community centers and folks are pointing to MLK. They're pointing to apparently Southside Community Center is closed now for the public. No, no. Well, maybe when this person. Um, Randolph, you know, what are we what are we doing with our current community centers and some of which are closed? So they're open back up, and I think like Randolph's a great example. We are partnering with RPS. We have a lot of different programs that we're working. I believe 
open high? Open high is using that for space because they need PE and different things like that. So we are partnering where we can at all of our facilities. Um, um, Humphrey Calder right now is where the Virtual Learning Academy is happening for 60 Fox Road kids that we had to transition over there, um, need space. Part of our challenge is that if we had some of these spaces during the pandemic, we could have opened and spread kids out. But when you have one room and the CDC was recommending 10 kids, max around eight to 10 and two staff in a room to do that, it was hard for us to really be able to do that in these type of spaces. But when you have these bigger opportunities to do that, we can program and utilize these spaces more. We look at right now, even with Fox Roads, some of the challenges that we have in our community when the school burns down, we don't have a place for them to go because we don't have these auxiliary spaces. MLK is an RPS manage, of which I've, I've brought up before. So that's not our space for us to do. And so we've that's been sort of, you know, that's another topic. However, Southside and those, we do have those spaces active and we have community hubs that we've been working with those with RPS so that they can be based out of them. We have a lot of other partners that we're doing. So we are utilizing the space as best we can. We just have very small spaces. Thank you. To the point of you know, making the most of these structures and investments, and you bring up partners who could help activate these spaces. Under that scenario, are we charging them rent or are they getting a credit on their non-departmental grants? I mean, how does that work? And then dovetailing with that, is part of the plan to have your offices move into one of these community centers instead of us paying for you to rent space? Thank you. Great questions. So there's a lot of opportunities out here. And first, we have to figure out what the community wants to see in these spaces as we design these spaces. Then as we design the spaces and determine what the needs are, it may be that we create satellite offices for OCWB, social services. How do libraries play into fact with that? The whole human services portfolio needs to look at that based on what some of our citizens want from that. I absolutely think we have to pursue what you're saying with non-departmental of saying you, the city is paying you this, what kind of programs are we getting in return? So we're looking at those different aspects of that and then determine if the rental is appropriate based on what they're doing or is there a huge need that they're providing a subsidized cost for our citizens and then therefore we, we you know, work with them on that. So it will be a case by case. Once we know what the citizens want for programming, we can design that. We'll have a, we'll know a lot more conceptually by August of this year of what we've heard back from the citizens and what those different pieces look like and then what potential program partners would, would look like. But we still have to, you know, if we want to do authentic community engagement, which is what you, you've said, we can't say this is what's going to be in this building until that authentic community engagement happens first. Uh, Follow-up question on community engagement. How are you engaging with our non-English speakers? So uh, we actually had um, a, a translator on site um, for our TV, TV Smith. Our surveys are bilingual so that we can have that out. So we have been working with, um, and they've changed their name at our old office of multicultural affairs. Yeah, we have been working with them in partnership and they've been part of this process um, from the beginning. Final, final question. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, obviously w there's so many facilities in the city's portfolio. Some fall under the city, some fall under RPS, some fall under the EDA, Economic Development Authority. Where does the Bon Secures training camp site fall within this? Um, is there a consideration of trying to uh, use that for more community-driven programming? And would that be a site for community functions beyond what it is now? And 
have we heard anything about whether or not bond securities staying there? Thank you. That is not in my level of expertise or knowledge, but from my understanding, it is um, operated by the EDA. Thank you, Council Member. That's a very, very good point. I mean, we've got a huge multi-million dollar investment sitting there not being used for anything um, of, of community benefit. And it's been an albatross on our neck ever since and impeded us from doing further economic development because it widowed away people's trust in our ability to do so. Um, it's, a, it's a prime time example. But hopefully we, I mean, it'd be great. George was students. Um, our other high school students could use that as a, how cool would it be if they could go practice on that field and the same field where NFL players um, do their training camp. I mean, what an amazing opportunity that could be. We do. Uh, they do allow us to use that for our quarterfinal uh, football games, and we have been in partnership with them for several years to use that space. So they have been a good partner for our football programs. Certainly could be doing more. But thank you, Director Frauke. I appreciate you and your time um, and being with us today. I mean, I will leave us with this, and that is we have – this is a major commitment to programming, and you are 100% spot on that we have organizations um, out there in the community, some of which I've been in correspondence with that are desperate for spaces that absolutely um, are, are thirsty for this type of opportunity to partner with the city and, um, um, you know, certainly serve our kids and families in Richmond. Um, we are going to have to make a commitment in the future because each one of these centers, in order to be worth anything to the community, is going to take probably millions of dollars in investment in programming because these organizations, even if they use our space, still have to pay their staff. They still have to pay for food, activities. It is not, it's not an inexpensive thing to run good programming and interventions for our kids. And they deserve that. And that, I believe, is your uh, vision. And if we're going to invest um, money in the buildings, we've got to invest equitable um, um, resources into the programming. So I'm, I welcome you back in August. I'm going to keep, you know, challenging us to think um, differently about this because historically it has been a challenge to get. Um, I mean, we arm wrestled over um, half a million dollars last year in last year's budget to go towards um, uh, the recreational side of Parks and Rec. I mean, we want to fully fund and commit ourselves to this programming because that's the antidote to gun violence. It's the antidote to social isolation in our communities. So much more. Um, and I know you understand that and your team understands that. Um, so, you know, we just need to put our budget where our mouths are for the years to come on this. So I do appreciate you being here with us. With that, um, Madam Clerk, are there any papers for consideration? What, 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 what? We still got another presentation. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Please. But you did summer. such a great lead-in uh, to all the wonderful things that we do and the programming. More of the world's problems have. to solve here at uh, we'll EHS. Be, we'll be really quick. I know that they'll be happy to be quick. Uh, but I'd like to introduce uh, Priscilla Wright and Rakia Wajid, who's going to go over our summer 2022. Uh, they oversee a lot of our recreation services, especially primarily focused in the community centers. Um, but they are here to just give you a quick overview of what we have planned uh, this summer.
Good afternoon, council members. We start the presentation. We are here to give you a brief overview of our summer programming. We're opening all the way back up, so we're excited. Um, our first program we're calling Summer Fun. We will have pretty much a free summer camp at 10 of our community center locations. The hours are a little bit different, but we wanted to provide opportunities for children in the neighborhoods who normally walk up. We didn't necessarily want to have to charge everyone. Some kids just want to have somewhere to go that's safe to receive a meal. You know, breakfast and lunch will be served at these sites. Um, the Great Summer Escape. So here is our paid camp. We have two sessions. This $200 per session. We will be housing these programs at four of our community centers, Hickory Hill, Humphrey Calder, Randolph, and Westover. The hours are 7.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Monday to Friday. We run, we have one week break from the end of school, and then we start on July 5th to make room for the 4th of July holiday. Um, we've heard from a number of parents who actually want a full day paid camp, so we wanted to provide an opportunity um, for all of our citizens in the city of Richmond. And we're currently waiting to confirm whether or not we can receive transportation this summer from RPS, um, which is huge for our programs. That way we can transport the children to all the fun places we go, including our parks. And pools. And parks. <laughs> so the Summer Adventure Camp is a one-week camp. Um, we have a partnership with Virginia State Parks where we are able to take some of our children around so they can experience the outdoors. A lot of our children in the city don't get to hang outdoors a lot. So it's kind of a partnership with them. They will be able to go to the various state parks in the area, the ones that we can reach and return within one day. Um, scholarships are available for everything that we're charging for. Transportation request has been put in with RPS. So we also have a lot of opportunities for the teens to actually work and create their own incomes, which is huge. Um, so this summer, along with MYA, and it says MYA-ish is because although we are under the MYA umbrella, we've also created a few other opportunities that aren't under the MYA umbrella, but we will be having counselors in training, which would be our summer camp counselor, like our junior counselors. Um, we'll be doing trades, so our teams will be able to work with our landscapers and things like that to learn something. We have, we'll have some answer in the phone at the front desk. Um, this summer, we're adding a marketing PR team. Um, their job this summer is to go around to our camps and document it so that we can have amazing pictures and access to share another level of experience and then we're having a mural mob so if it's white and it's clear and it's a wall we're trying to see what we can do to spruce it up um, giving them some artistic freedom throughout the city um, and then we have our trip workforce which are teens in richmond in parks so they'll be working in our james river park system um, helping out with counselors when we do paddle boats and all those type of things, not paddle boats, canoeing and things like that um, with our park system. And then our Richmond Grove Gardens, which is our community garden program, helping out throughout that system as well. Um, transportation for some of these programs will be needed, but we'll be using vans because we're doing these in small numbers. And then we have our Youth Gun Violence Prevention Summer Program. We have We Matter RVA, which is hosted currently in two locations at River City and at MLK. 
we are going to transition those children um, and possibly more. Don't quote me on that into a summer program um, at two of our sites. It'll be a continuation of the school year with recreational enrichment, social emotional learning, mentorship, and stipends for the kids who complete the program. And we do that also in partnership with um, two other partners who are amazing and help us reach our children. Then, Rakia um, doesn't like to talk, so I'm bullying her. Um, Pan Camp. These are all the programs that we have at Pan Camp this year. One of these uh, programs, the Summer Dance Intensive, will actually take place at Hickory Hill Community Center. But all the others are at Pan Camp. So we have the Page to Stage Theater Intensive, the Summer Dance Intensive, Nature Film Camp, Camp and Arts and Recreation Summer Influence, which is kind of an amalgam between the cultural arts and the recreation components that we offer as a department. Um, scholarships are available for all of these programs. And then USDA Summer Meals. So for about the last 45 years, the city of Richmond has sponsored USDA Summer Meals for all of our community centers and partners in the region, including some of the YMCAs, uh, sports camps, church um, vacation Bible school. So we serve at all of our community centers. The meals have to be provided for free. There's no charge. And whether or not you're registered or involved in that program, any child who qualifies, which is any child in the city of Richmond, is able to walk up and get a meal, breakfast and lunch. Are there any questions for us? Well, you guys are a fan favorite. We might have to have you back <laughs> next meeting. Um, quick question on the, um, the, uh, the teen opportunities for the summer jobs. Can you all send us a copy of this, uh, of the job application so that we can share it with our um, students? I got some people, some students in the Bulldog Academy. I already told about this. So we see, <laughs> so it's online right now. Um, it's under our Office of Community Wealth under Mayor's Youth Academy. So they would apply there. And then what we're doing, so previously before the Mayor's Youth Academy existed, our community CITs and things like that were kids in the community who already came up and things and worked with us, played with us and did those. So we kind of grew them into those positions. So if you have kids in your Bulldog Academy, I'm pretty sure they're familiar with Southside Community Center and they know the staff over there. So once they submit their application, we ask that you they mention it to a staff person. They I taught there, so I completely understand. Um, so we ask that they mention it to a staff person so we can make sure that we're getting the kids who are in our communities who are working hard to Learn new things, but it's already out there and it closes on March 31st, but we'll send a link. Could you let us know what the stipend is for these intrepid future? If I tell you and then I'm wrong, I might get in trouble, but, but we can ask Eva for the gun violence prevention stipend. For that and then for the. Yeah, for all of these programs where you are are paying our teens, which is terrific, and I support. So that's also determined by, um, come on, Eva, that's um, determined by the Mary's Youth Academy's office for the rest of them, but it's at least 700, depending on what they are doing and the hours that they're working, um, but there's opportunities to do more. I think... Broadly, just to summarize, there's a general effort across human services to compensate young people for participating in programs. We recognize that there are a lot of distractions for kids, particularly older teens, from participating in productive, positive youth development activities. And offering compensation is often a way to get them to participate. 
That said, a lot of these funding streams are different. So the revenue sources are different. So the the We Matter, the Gun Violence Prevention Program, this is a, this is funded by DCJS. And so as part of that, we are organized. That program is organized into what we call sessions or seasons. Kids are getting $500 for each of those, and that's split up over two checks. So that way, they get some earlier and some later. Um, the Mayor's Youth Academy is obviously through OCWB. I just want to name that there's an emerging priority as we as we work to connect folks around youth programming to try to compensate our older youth, particularly as and middle schoolers as well for participation in productive and positive experiences. And then with that, because they don't have to work for us under Mayor's Youth Academy, there's other opportunities. Um, one summer we had kids working in various city buildings, but also working with the pharmaceutical company that's here in Richmond, Kings Dominion. So they also set their own rates. Um, Kids aren't getting rich, but they're putting money in their pocket and they're learning an amazing skill and they're spending time with us. Who wouldn't want to spend time with us? Sign me up. Um, well, thank you all so much for joining us. Thanks for the wonderful work you're doing. Um, we are so excited that um, you guys are rolling out the summer programs again. It, it almost feels like we're 100% back to normal. So yeah. thank you all so much. Thank Appreciate you. you. All right, with Chair, oh, I have one question. Member Robertson. Um, as it relates to the summer camp, um, Ready Escape um, program. I missed a quarter of what you said. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, no problem. Um, the summer camp, Great Summer Escape, uh, beginning in July and a second session in August. Um, is there a registration uh, for that? And I, I see that there's a $200. I understand that there are scholarships that are available. Um, but is there a closed registration date for these? So, yes. Um, We've learned from previous experiences that when we open the registration early, early, then all the spaces are filled and no one attends because our prices aren't as high as others. So registration for Great Summer Escapes will start on May 1st um, and it'll stay open until all the spaces are filled. Um, and at that time, we will look at opening other locations if necessary. Uh, follow up question. How many how many can you accommodate uh, for your camps? 60%. So these locations, it's 60 per site for now, um, because we, although we are almost back to regular, we're apprehensive on opening it wide open. So it's 60 per site currently. However, like last summer, we ended up increasing those numbers as we saw the need. And then for the fun, the summer fun camps, there are no um there's no fees, there's no max, but what happens, the only time it becomes an issue. And then what we've learned is we just rotate the people out when we go on field trips, if we are if we get transportation. And when we go on field trips, we just have to do it in, in smaller groups, but there is no max on those camps. I'm asking as it relates to the maximum number of kids that you can accommodate. So I'm not following the 60%. 
So for the paid camps, it's 60 children per site. So we have, 60 yes, ma'am, six okay. zero. So we have okay. four of these community centers right now. 100%. So it'd be like 240 children right now. But as you know, we're flexible and we kind of want to serve the needs of our community, which is why we set the camps up this way. So if you were to look at these four community centers, with the exception of one, there's not a lot of walkability. There's not a lot of walk-up traffic. Um most parents who go to these sites actually drive their children there. So what we wanted to do was to increase usage to make sure we're really um, meeting the needs of the children who will walk up. So a place like a Battery Park or a Hotchkiss has a huge area that they draw from the children will walk up to. So we wanted to provide free programming, um, something that the children didn't necessarily have to rely on their parents for. Um, we have some issues with a lot of times parents don't want to register and sign up. So we didn't want that to be a barrier for the kids in that community. You know, I found, I live in North, North side right now. Um, what I found is before we offered free summer camps, a lot of times the kids were just kind of hanging out in the street, getting involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. So we saw the need and we kind of tried to rise to meet that need. So that's why we have 10 free camps and just the four paid camps. And again, all of these things are able to be adjusted if we needed to turn a free program in because we realized the need was there, then we would turn that to a paid camp. So we can make any of these things fluid. This is our base plan, but if a need arises, we will be willing to adjust. So just one follow-up question. Um, where there are free programs, uh, what I have seen is that you know, sometimes the kids will come because they get their breakfast and mm -hmm. they come back or they get their lunch. Um, but the activity that is going on at those centers during the course of that day, because they aren't registered in a program, um, a lot of parents don't allow the kids to come because they are not, they don't want them to come somewhere that there isn't any registration for programming that they are clear on. But I'll talk to you more specifically about that because yes. I know you have a reason for that. <laughs> but for the greater summer escape, mm -hmm. Hickory Hill is south side. Yes. Where, where is Humphrey? Humphrey Calder is the west end. It's Thompson and Patterson. Mm -hmm. Randolph is near west end. Yes. And Westover is south side. South side of Forest Hill. So yes. where is east end? Where is south, north side? Where is lower... Uh, so are you only going to have those programs scheduled for those no. four? No, these are just the paid registered summer camps. The other camps will be a registration. It's just that in speaking to our communities and our families, we realize that some parents actually want a eight, nine hour a day. I'm going to work. I want to sign up. I want to pay this money. And these are the programs. But we have a number of families who also either don't want to pay the money or the children just want to walk up and be somewhere safe and engaging. Um, we will have similar programs, maybe not exactly the same. The biggest thing I've realized is that if our staff are engaging enough, the kids want to be there. And if they're not engaging enough, then we need to know so that we can work on that. We will have activities. There are things like pools. We're still trying to figure out the pools. You know, we have golf lessons, tennis lessons. So those children won't be left out at all. And we're looking at a registration, meaning there's a form, here's your name, here's your parent. Hopefully your parent will sign you up. And if not, let me help you. At least we have your name and this information. So it's not that we don't want organization. We were just trying to figure out how to address the needs of all. Because what was happening before was that we just had a pay camp. 
And so it was paid. Some people who would normally go to those sites all year long didn't feel comfortable coming up anymore. And we don't want to leave any of our kids out. I would thank you. And uh, you know how to run your program. I'm not trying to do that. Um, but I, I, I would like to suggest that the registration tends to give parents more engagement in the process and also expect that their kids are going to be there, not leave. just come in for to pick up a meal and to leave. Yes, ma'am. Um, and that's what I think, uh, and I'm uh, and I'm concerned about that because the Greater Summer Escape is with that registration, mm-hmm. and I know there's a fee, but there's scholarships that are available. Mm-hmm. But geographically, uh, the locations, um, I'm not feeling comfortable that we are addressing that from that perspective, um, and. You know, I, but I'm willing to have that conversation with you all to get a better appreciation for, because I know that there are activities and programming that is going on in addition to these four locations that the Great Summer Escape is at. So we're trying hard, or at least I'm trying hard in the 6th District to try to get as many kids and raise as much money as I can to support as many kids being in a structured program for the summer. We, our children are so far behind on an, from an educational perspective and social interaction from what they've experienced with COVID that uh, we're trying to close that. Now that we have an opportunity to bring people together, bring the kids together, we're trying to close as much of that gap as we can. And some of the poorest neighborhoods in the city of Richmond um, some of them don't have any facility whatsoever, but the closest facility to them um, where parents may not can drive their kids to, but kids can walk to if they're close by, uh, having having more opportunity for those families to actually be engaged in camps, uh, you know, full structured camp, camps is is extremely important and but I'll be more than happy to have that conversation with you all uh, to make sure that as we pursue efforts to try to raise money for camps, you know, we're getting calls every day. I'm getting calls every day from churches and everybody else that wants to help out with summer camp. But, you know, a lot of folks don't know what's involved in doing a summer camp until, <laughs> until you have 50 kids that show up at your church and you have two people that you thought were going to manage 50 kids and feed 50 kids and, you know, and all of that. So, we're open you know, you guys session. got, you have the expertise to be able to do these things in a way that they need to be done. So I'll do a follow-up conversation with you to make sure that. I, I'm sorry. I, don't, I just want to say that I think the word registration is being misinterpreted. So yes, they have registration, everything. It's still going to be a structured camp. It's just not going to be a fee-based camp. Um, like she said, what we've learned in the past is some locations would fill up with a lot of members of our community who could afford to pay for camps. And then the camps, then we had camps at the those locations, the people who couldn't afford for camps, couldn't afford to pay for camp. 
they would just walk away because their parents didn't want to ask for help or things of that nature. So, no, it's very structured still. There's still schedules and things like that. The only difference is they won't their field trips won't be as far away. So instead of them going, I don't know, to Bowling Green, a bowl, they'll go to the Bowties, the River City Bowl instead. So we're still offering those same type of amenities. We're just trying to make sure that those kids who would not have any opportunities to leave their neighborhood or to do structured things would have them at no cost. Um, And as far as feeding them, they're always welcome to eat. We always want them to come. If your parent wants you to be there from this time to this time, we're there. But we didn't want to um, stop someone from attending because of the cost. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for answering all of our questions and being here with us today. I gave you my closing my remarks already, so um, another hats off to you for a wonderful presentation. And thank you to Director Frelke as well. Thank you. You all have a great thank afternoon. You. Thank you. All right, with that, um, <laughs> Madam Clerk, we will move um, for papers, move to the papers for consideration. Yes, ma'am. The paper for consideration is Resolution 2022 R014 to express the council's support should the citizens of Richmond approve a second referendum for the development and operation of a resort casino for appropriating one third of the revenues received as a result of the development and operation of such resort casino to a reserve fund for the purpose of supplying any decrease in funds received by the school board of the city of Richmond as a result of adjustments to the Commonwealth of Virginia's composite index of local ability to pay. Thank you, Madam Clerk, and I am the patron of that legislation, so I'll give a brief um, explanation for benefit of my committee members. Um, the genesis for this paper, as you all know um, and, and heard today in, it, in facing uh, decreased funding from the state due to our local composite index um, formula. RPS will continue. Our public school system will continue um, to uh, see challenges in appropriately funding all of its needs. And so uh, any, you know, seeing the um, potential casino revenue as an economic development project that could yield some of those revenues to help make up the difference of our lost funding through uh, our lost state funding. Um, in addition to the growing needs of RPS generally um, uh, as its budget continues to grow and budget needs continues to grow, the, the spirit of this legislation or the intention rather would be to place that uh, revenue received from this um, casino economic development project a third of it revenue, a third of those revenues into rich and public schools. Um, as it stands right now today, um, there is no special fund or um, plan um, for the revenue. It would simply go back into our general fund. There has been talks about the potential use for that for those revenues, um, but never a um, specified um, allocation save for, I believe, the two-cent tax reduction. So um, this paper is um, oh. – <laughs> so we're all a little loopy by the end of the meeting. Um, so um, in, in, in essence, that's the paper. Um, bringing it back before the committee for discussion or questions. 
Um, Madam, I can hold my questions until we have the public hearing. If there are folks to speak at the public hearing, then we can come back for discussion if you'd like. Madam Clerk, are there members of the public that wish to speak in opposition for or favor of this paper? We did not receive any phone calls prior to 10 a.m. to talk on this paper, and I don't believe there's anyone here in the chamber that wishes to speak. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Bringing it back to committee for discussion. Okay. Um, Madam Chair, I um, part of the paper that was initiated earlier as it relates to using revenue to reduce uh, the tax burden on, on our citizens. Um, I feel very strongly that our economic development, and I've been waiting, uh, as we all have, for our economic development plan for the city of Richmond. And I'm hoping that the economic development plan for the city of Richmond is going to do some revenue projections of what we are hoping to get out of economic growth and development in the city of Richmond. And I'm also hoping that as a part of that plan, that when we look at those revenue projections, we are also looking at and helping our citizens to recognize the fact that economic growth is essential for us to continue to grow our revenue uh, for the city of Richmond. Um, the majority of our money comes from real estate taxes. Everybody complains about real estate taxes. Uh, but if we don't have another very vibrant source of revenue, of increasing revenue, which in our case, I think, is uh, retail, which is becoming a, a whole different uh, maybe no revenue in the, in the future from how we're doing retail these days, um, but our business growth, our economic growth is a source of revenue that I, we are, the city is not gaining its fair share for the metropolitan region. And so with that, what I've also experienced is that when we bring large economic growth development opportunities before uh, the council and the, and the city of Richmond, so far we have not had the kind of success in actually adopting those economic growth development plans. And, and we've seen very well, even with the, um, I hate to bring up Navy Hill, but I think it's a classic example that we, uh, instead of making the changes to the development to make it acceptable by the city of Richmond to vote it down and the county picks it up, which is what we, I knew, I don't know who else, but I always felt that was exactly what would happen. And the, the opportunity for economic growth and development in the city of Richmond that is tied to the cost factors that is associated with operating the city of Richmond, I think, there needs to be an opportunity for our citizens to recognize that as we grow more from an economic growth perspective, economic development perspective, that it does assist us in our means of reducing the cost that is currently being um, uh, is being borne by primarily real estate taxes. So that's 
is the philosophy behind the paper that I introduced uh, not just one any one particular development, but a process of looking at how economic growth can really become a reliable source of additional revenue and counter some of the what uh, our citizens feel is unfair burden that they have with our real estate rack rates versus the others. And there are other areas as well that many fields that we aren't competitive in. Having said all of that, I, as it relates to this paper, one of the things that I think has been extremely challenging with economic development and as we present economic development deals is that um, we've talked about community reinvestment agreements to be a part of all of our economic development in the city of Richmond. And I think we need to go back to uh, revisit that conversation. Uh, the staff has made some recommendation to us as it relates to community development agreements. I think some of the things in there are excellent. I think some of them are probably going to discourage some folk from wanting to do business in the city of Richmond. We haven't had the kind of dialogue and discussion about that, and I'm hopeful that the Finance Committee uh, will take on that challenge of being able to accomplish that. Right now, from what I've been told, um, the probability of this, this uh, the, the legislation at the General Assembly right now appears to be more in favor to delay in any action being taken at the present time. And I I agree with some of the comments that Ms. Trammell made at the last meeting as it relates to whether or not uh, council uh, dialogue about how we're going to spend money before we get something uh, having an impact on the General Assembly's ultimate decision as to whether or not they're supporting um, uh, the other legislation that has been put in place to de delay this de de development in the city of Richmond for a study. And so in the absence of that, um, I would like for us to continue this paper until we get some more answers from the General Assembly uh, as to where we stand with the probability of us being able to get this on the referendum, get this on the ballot in November. Secondly, as it relates to the composite index, that's a troubling area all by itself. It's a major issue. And as Richmond demographic continues to change, the reason why we are short, we're getting less money this year from the state, which is inadequate, always has been inadequate, and we need to fight that battle of state funding and the lack of funding that we get from the state. And I know that's an ongoing battle, uh, but we got to stay in that, we got to stay in, on the war field for that. Um, but our composite index, uh, is not uh, represented, representative of the poverty and the needs that the city has. And the formula that is used there, and the reason why Richmond is getting less, is because we've moved 
a lot of folk into the city of Richmond at income levels that is negatively impacting um, our formula that we use and the revenue that comes to the city. And that is a fundamental problem that Richmond cannot fund a gap because we have a we have a policy or how the composite index that is totally a misrepresentation of what the city is how the what, what is real in our city and when any time that composite index shows Richmond being more wealthy than our surrounding counties, there's something majorly wrong with that. But it also speaks to the extreme disparity that exists in this city as it relates to wealth and as it relates to poverty. And it speaks to the policies that we don't have in place or we continue to put in place to provide incentives where we reduce the tax burden on people for people that are not of low income, that are not of poverty, which ultimately encourages them to move into the city of Richmond and don't have to pay real estate taxes. Um, and we are continuing to provide those kinds of incentives, which at the end of the day, we don't ask our question, ask that question. What kind of impact is this going to have on our composite index? And then, are we going to deny revenue and then ultimately use revenue to fund basic needs that uh, – so I, I, I think this is a big policy issue in a lot of different ways, and I've only expounded upon a few of them. Um, but I won't. I, I, I have some challenge with any economic development. Uh, we make in a policy decision that a third of the revenue is going to be given specifically to schools when we, for that reason, for the lack of our policy be fixed so that we won't have that gap. Um, and at the rate that the city is going, um, the disparity in wealth is just getting worse. And that means that the composite index is continue to be significantly less. And will we be saying that in order for us to fund education, a third of our revenue from economic development has to cover a policy that is flawed? And so those are some of the concerns that I have with this paper. It has nothing to do with rich and public schools. Um, it, I mean, and we just went through a complete budget process just a few moments ago with rich and public schools. Rich and public schools is not asking us for any other money. They are asking us for um, $16 million, and we've appropriated fifteen. million. Um, I'm, I'm just... You know, I've been in this battle with Richard Public Schools as to how much money we put in the budget of Richard Public School. We created a formula not too long ago about how reason why they were funded uh, to, to their requests in the last year or so. 
I think that formula needs to be revisited because it's only based on revenue from real estate taxes, whereas we should look at it across our all of our sources of revenue, but yet meet that dollar amount that is needed. Um, because when revenue goes, uh, if, if real estate revenue have a significant fall, we're going to be looking at the same kind of paper that you're speaking of right now. How do we, you know, take money from a different source to cover a real estate, a decrease in re- revenue from real estate taxes that gives that formula that we'll use from Richmond Public Schools less money. And I know there's some provisions in that legislation to try to address that. Um, But that's my overall concern is that there are a lot of policies that I think needs to be addressed as to how we deal with composite index and how much money the city gets. And then also looking at broadening our existing policy or formula to include all sources of revenue for rich and public schools to be able to fund them at the level that they need to be funded. Thank you. And I'm sorry, I thought I was just seemingly I wanted to be in the queue. I didn't realize I was turning on my mic. Um, can I ask what the status of the other paper is? Is Has that already gone through committee and back up to council? Um, I'll refer to the attorney or to the clerk's office to as to where it is. I'm not absolutely sure. I think I know, but I. Madam Chair and members of the committee, City Clerk Candace Reed, the, that other paper is continued to March 28th by full council. That's the paper on the real estate tax, right? Your paper, yes. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah, and so if if the patron of the paper would agree, I would I would like to offer a motion that we continue this paper until we have a little bit more insight as to where we are with the consigner and then give us an opportunity to talk more holistically as to where we are and what we want to do to open up a window of opportunity <laughs> for for this particular economic growth development. Thank you. Thank you. The reason I asked where the other paper was, because it seemed like these should move together so that when you discuss one, you're discussing the other. And um, I think we could move it forward without recommendation to full council. And then should we all collectively want more time, it could be continued as the other paper was. Um, Or, you know, we may know a lot more about what's happened to the General Assembly and the whole thing may be moot. Thank you. So tomorrow is signing a die. So I feel fairly confident. Um, and I'm actually late. I have to get down to the General Assembly building now. So I, I will have a better update as to where, hopefully have a better update as to where our partners across the street stand with the budget. But um, I do, I, I would agree with both my colleagues that um, certainly by the 28th of March, we will know have a better idea of where things um, stand. Obviously, anything can happen in reconvene session, but um, I certainly I think that it will be in a better posture. And I do agree that both these papers should move with one another. So with that, um, Madam Clerk, I think I believe the motion on the table is to continue, make a recommendation to continue this paper to the 28th with its sister paper, um, 
back at full council. There is a need for a second on that motion. Yeah, second. <laughs> My apologies. But I need clarification on the motion because Ms. Robertson said one thing and Ms. Jordan said something else. So I made, if, it, if we're at the point of formal motions, I think it was that um, Councilmember Robinson wanted to continue within committee. Do we have to vote on that before my motion to forward without recommendation? There was no second on that motion. Therefore, we do not need to vote on that motion. Okay, so I move to forward it to full council without recommendation. Second. The committee is voting on the motion to forward resolution 2022 R014 to council without recommendation. Question. Uh, we have a council meeting coming up on the 14th, which is Monday. So, you know, even so, this motion would send this paper back to council for our 14th meeting, correct? Yes, ma'am. Now, I, I guess what I'm questioning is point of clarification. It's going to finance. It has to go to finance. We voted for it to go to finance. Finance is, um, Madam Clerk, March 17th. March 17th. So I guess the question that I would ask of the patron of uh, Ms. Jordan, if if we in the clerk's office as to whether or not we can. If we ref if we move it forward to council with no recommendation, we cannot can can we not say um, to the 28th meeting? Um, I guess I don't know. Madam Chair, members of the committee, if the paper is moved forward without a recommendation and it appears on the agenda for March 14th, it is going to have to be continued to March 28th because of the March 17th finance meeting. So by default, it will go to March 28th. Okay. Thank you, Madam Clerk. You're welcome. Ms. Jordan. Aye. Ms. Robertson. Aye. And Ms. Lynch. Aye. That motion has carried. <laughs> Thank you. All right, now we'll move on to the approval of the minutes. The minutes for the approval are from the February 10th, 2022 Education and Human Services Standing Committee meeting. If there are no corrections or amendments to the minutes, they will stand approved as presented. Well, committee members, um, we do not have a staff report um, this this time out, but we do have a number of to-do items um, that I know we have captured um, for this committee that revolve around some of the topics we talked about um, during our presentation and discussion portion of the meeting. Um, there is no further business before this committee, so this meeting stands adjourned.